Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Just wanted to give everybody a heads up that we were unable to record the sermon on Sunday, so this audio recording is me recording our live stream um, from my phone to the computer, so the audio quality isn't going to be really great, but I just wanted to give you all a heads up. Thanks for listening. We're starting a new series this week. It's going to be a 10-ish week series called The Good Life. I don't want you in any way to think that uh, that is talking about how to have this prosperous life. This is not the Prosperity Gospel series. We're going to be looking at three books in the Old Testament that are called the Wisdom Literature. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. We're going to be looking at them all kind of in conversation with each other. Because they're designed to be in conversation with each other. I do want to tell this quick little funny story. We were in Arkansas last weekend, and we think we were there for a wedding for one of the girls in our youth group, and we picked up from the airport the night before a girl who was in our youth group who was flying in from Minnesota. She just started her new job in Minnesota, and uh, I was asking her if she had found a church she was enjoying or visiting. She said, well, I went to this one, uh, but I don't know if I'll go back. The preacher was doing a series on Proverbs, so. And I was like, oh, well, uh, you know, I just thought, I was, I, I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be preaching on Proverbs on Sunday. But I didn't say that. I, uh, I just like, oh, okay, you know, well, maybe give it another shot. But um, uh, so this series, when we look at these three books, many of us probably don't necessarily see these books meant to be read together, but they, they absolutely are. Because all three of these books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, sorry, sorry the screen's a little squished, but all three of these books are designed to ask this question. How do we live well in this world? How do we go about our lives and live well? And each of the books, in one way or another, answers that question. And I'm kind of going to just jump right to the the answer, even though we're going to spend all series talking about this. The answer to that question for each book is, the way you live well is fear the Lord. That's the phrase in each book. Each book, they find some way to answer that question. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7 says, Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, let the discerning give guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Ecclesiastes has these two voices, two people speak in the book. There's the critic and there's the teacher who's writing the book. And the critic spends the whole book talking about how pointless life is. How life is just this, you know, you can't control anything, you never know what's going to happen. And then at the very end, the teacher says, so what's the conclusion we come to in all this? Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. And then Job, a story that many of us have encountered and wrestled with quite a bit. And Job, God, and Job goes through this great amount of pain in his life. And Job spends this whole long book talking with his friends 
aren't really very good friends about why he's going through what he's doing, going through. And at some point, he eventually says, God, you owe me an answer for why I'm going through this. I've got some questions for you, God. He actually says, you know, let's, let's have a trial here. And God shows up and he says, okay, uh, let's talk. And God speaks to him. And we'll get there eventually. But he doesn't really answer Job's questions quite like what we would like. But what Job does come to the conclusion, he does say, he does say after God speaks to him, Job replies, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked God, Job, Job's talking to God. He says, you asked, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? He's saying, and the answer is nobody. Nobody obscures God's plans. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. No, this does not say the words of the fear of the Lord in here. But the answer that Job is saying is, you know what? Now that you've answered me and now that you've spoken about all these things, I realize just how much I don't have to know the answer to these things. I have no way of knowing the answer to these things. But what I'm going to just keep doing is I'm going to keep fearing the Lord and keep obeying you. And this phrase, the fear of the Lord, the reason I wanted to talk about today, this is what our sermon is going to be about today, is because this is a very odd phrase. It's one that probably one day you might think, oh, I get what that means, and the next day you might think, I really don't like that phrase. And we spent, or we the church, spent a great deal of our history, many hundreds of years in our history, where the message over and over was that we have a God that is a wrathful, angry, scary God. You better watch out. A lot of Christian history has spent a lot of time with that. Thank goodness for Jesus, otherwise God would have smited you in a second. Or watch out for God, you know, I, I joke, but in Church of Christ sometimes, you know the phrase, once saved, always saved, Church of Christ is once saved, barely saved. You better watch out. Don't do that. Or God's going to get you. And I don't like the phrase, the fear of the Lord, because it often makes people think of that. When you hear the word fear, you immediately think of scared. But I want you to realize that there is this is a complex phrase that has a whole lot involved in it. And if Proverbs tells us that I want all of you to live the good life, and Proverbs tells us that the beginning of the good life is to live wise, to live in such a way where you live as a wise person. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. There is no way we can do this series and cover these books without you having somewhat of a foundation on what the fear of the Lord means. And so that's what this sermon is going to be about, laying that foundation of what the fear of the Lord means. You can't learn to read without the alphabet. You can't learn how to play the piano without musical notes. You can't turn on a car without a key, or I guess push the start, but the key has to be in the car. And this is what the fear of the Lord is. It will be your alphabet, it will be your musical notes, it will be your key to having and living the good life, okay? And so here are a few things that I want to think about when we think about this phrase. First, there is a component of the fear of the Lord that features the word fear. Many times in the Old Testament, you have people who encounter God and they are afraid. Isaiah sees God in all his glory and he wants to hide and he is very afraid of God's presence. There is a factor of fear in there. Elijah on the mountain, when God passes by, there's a fear that's involved there. In Indiana Jones, when the Nazis opened up the Ark of the Covenant, and the, I'm just kidding, okay, but uh, still, 
There are many stories in Scripture where there is a person who is encountering the Almighty God and they experience a level of fear. So I do not want you to take this new thinking about this subject and say that there's not any aspect of fear involved at all. There is an aspect of it. I spoke with someone this week about this phrase, and they said, you know, sometimes when I go to God in prayer, and I just think just how realistic it is, that, or just how unrealistic and radical it is that I am getting to speak to the God of the universe, I get chills. There's a sense in which it's, this is a big deal. That's maybe a, a side effect of that fear of the Lord. Another way to look at this phrase is the idea of reverence or honor. To revere God, to honor God. We see this in Psalms. We have this great uh, line from the Psalms, Psalms 19, 7 through 10. Uh, sorry, my screen up there is not on, so I'm just making sure I'm not on the wrong place. But uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 10 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. We see here that the psalmist is kind of saying that all of these things, the laws, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the decrees, all of these things are the fear of the Lord. If you are fearing God and obeying and revering Him, then you love to keep His commands. And it's not a burdensome thing. We as a church do such a bad job of making being a Christian and following all the rules such a bore, or such a, oh, I don't know if I want to be a Christian, I've got all these rules. If you fear God, if you honor and revere Him, keeping these commands, laws, statutes, they are a joy. They give light to the eyes. They are, and, and as verse 10 says, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. If you, if I, and I, I was thinking about using this analogy, now I'm going to use it. There are plenty of times where I would say, you could argue I do things because I have a fear of Catherine, my wife. Not a fear like I'm scared of her, but a fear because I want to honor her and revere her. And I think to myself, when I'm really in my right place as a good husband, doing the things that are going to honor and bless her that she wants me to do is a joy to be able to be a part of that. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that. She's not even in here. So she's with Marshall in the hall. So... I'm not even getting brownie points for saying that, but it's true. That's an aspect of this. And then another aspect of it is the word love. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy says over and over, fear the Lord. And then in the next breath says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you think fear and love can't be synonymous, then we have a bad definition of the fear of the Lord, because they have to be. First John says, perfect love casts out all fear. Or well, does, where does perfect love come from? comes from living wisely, from fearing God. Wait, wait a second. Fear God? Perfect love casts out fear? So does that mean does that mean that first John is wrong? No. It means we have to have a more complex understanding of what this phrase, fear of the Lord means. And so here is my working definition of fear of the Lord. If you're a note taker, here's my working definition. Just so you know, tomorrow I might change my definition. A week later I might change, but here's where I'm at right now. The fear of the Lord is giving your whole life to God because you are in awe, honor, fear, love, reverence of his bigness in comparison to your smallness. Our smallness compared to his justice. I am so small compared to his justice. Our smallness compared to his power. Our smallness compared to his mercy. Our smallness compared to his love. And when we stop and really think about that, 
just how merciful he is, just how powerful he is, just how just he is, and we think about how just how broken we are, just how need of love we are, when we do that, we, as a result, tremble in the fear of the Lord. In the Chronicles of Narnia, if you haven't read the book, it's for children and for adults, but C.S. Lewis depicts Jesus as a lion called Aslan. And in the famous book, Language in the Wardrobe, when the children go into Narnia, they hear of this person that the good people talk about named Aslan. Hopefully Aslan comes. Hopefully Aslan saves the day. And one of the girls says, wait, who is Aslan? They say, well, Aslan's the lion. And she says, a lion? Lions are scary. And she says, is he a safe lion? And this is what the character responds. The character says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So this is one of my favorite things I hold on to when people ask me about the fear of the Lord. Because I really think C.S. Lewis had this in mind when he picked a lion to be... He could have picked a lamb. He could have picked many animals to depict Jesus Christ. But he chose a lion, and I believe part of why he chose it is there is an aspect of a lion that is powerful and invoking a fear. But that doesn't mean he's not safe. It doesn't mean he's not good. It doesn't mean he's not king. So if you want to hold on to that. So I believe... And here's, I'm going to transition to the second half. I believe that the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is one unified message. And that unified message finds its culmination in Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the message of God. And that message became incarnate in flesh in Jesus Christ. And so for me as a preacher, all I kept thinking this week is, I believe the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of living a good life is fearing God. And that is not true if I cannot find its culmination in how Jesus Christ taught and lived. I believe, before I necessarily found the passages I wanted to use, Jesus, no one embodied the fear of the Lord more than Christ. Now, does that mean he was trembling in fear at who God is? No. And yes, nobody exhibited the fear of the Lord more than Jesus Christ. And so I picked two passages. Tomorrow I might have picked two different passages, but these are the two that stuck out to me that demonstrate Jesus teaching and living out the fear of the Lord. If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can, or follow along on the screen. Um, Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Many of you have probably heard this passage before. Um, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? By the way, he's probably not asking about life after death. He's probably asking about this abundant life right now. What must I do to just have the most amazing life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Isn't that interesting? What we talked about earlier is the fear of the Lord looks like the decrees, the commandments. He's saying, oh, there's an answer. Fear God, keep his commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? And this, this reminds me a lot of our Colossians sermon series we just finished. Remember in Colossians, part of the problem is, is that there's a false teacher coming among that church and saying to them, listen, I know you know Jesus, but you need to know a little bit more. You need to mature and grow a little more. And Paul says, if you think knowing Jesus there's and, and who he is and how amazing he is and his love for us, and there's still something else that you're supposed to learn, then you don't really know Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
oh, I just listed out to you things that have to do with fearing God, and your response is, well, I've done those things, but I still feel like I'm missing something. I'm lacking something. Jesus is going, okay, you must not actually fear the Lord, because you, if you did, you wouldn't feel like there was anything that you still needed to have this abundant life. And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, I'm going to preach this sermon another time where we're going to talk about what this is really about. But what I, the reason I picked this passage is because this man was asking about the good life. Jesus, I want to live well. I want to have that good life. How to live wise. And yet, he did not want it when Jesus told him what it looked like. And why was that? Because he feared, loved, honored his wealth and his possessions more than he feared, feared loved, honored God and Christ. There was something else that if you asked him, well, you might lose this, but gain Christ. The prospect of losing this thing that he loved, feared, and revered, that rhymed, the, the prospect of losing that was a greater fear to him than of losing the good life. Picking up what I'm putting down, okay? This is the question that all of us have to face. You are constantly going to be asked by this culture, this world, this life, oh, well, you might lose this if you follow Jesus. Does that make you more scared, or does losing God and losing Jesus make you more scared because of your love, honor, and fear of that? Okay, second story, John 19. We talked about this not that long ago. John 19, 10 to 11. Pilate has just flogged Jesus. He's about to release him to be crucified, but he's starting to get a little nervous because they're talking about how this guy is the son of God. And Jesus is not answering Pilate when he's asking him, hey, they say you're the son of God. Who are you? And Jesus doesn't answer. And Pilate says this. You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of the greater sin. Pilate is saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you honor and revere and fear me? Aren't you afraid of what I could do to you? Aren't you going to obey me? And Jesus responds, I do not fear you. I fear, I love, I revere, I obey God and his will. And frankly, I'll take that a step further. Jesus is saying also, because there's another person in the room who is telling Jesus to be afraid, and it's death. Death is in the room saying to Jesus, aren't you afraid of dying? Aren't you afraid of what I could do to you? And Jesus is saying, I am more afraid of my Lord. I'm more in love with God, and I revere him more than I fear these other things. And so if you're dozing off, or if I've talked way too long, here's the time to wake up. If you... I want all of you so badly. Sometimes, sometimes I preach sermons, and I care about preaching a good sermon. Today, that's not my priority. Today, my priority is, I think this can help your life. I desperately want all of you to live good lives. And the truth of Scripture is that good lives do not have any correlation to what your life circumstances look like. That's what the definition in the world is. Well, how much money do you have? How healthy are you? How happy are you? How many friends do you have? Is the place that you live sunny and 70 all the time? Oh, then you have a good life. That is a lie. The idea that being becoming a Christian by taking on the waters of baptism, that that means that your life circumstances are going to gradually, progressively become better, that the temperature in Central Texas is going to start decreasing to being more pleasant in the summer. That is a lie. But the idea that fearing the Lord will lead to living well and lead to a good life is the truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
and the beginning of wisdom and the fear of the Lord is about identifying everything in your life that you love, that you honor, that you revere, that you would be afraid to lose, and saying, I want to honor, love, and fear, and revere God more than those things. I want a relationship with Christ more than I care about losing those things. The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the children of God bend ourselves to God's will and not to anything else. The fear of the Lord is the desire to live not by bread alone, but by the very truth that comes from God. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Jesus didn't say he was coming to give you better lives. He said he was coming to give you the eternal life, flowing from his hands like a fountain, flowing from his side through his blood on the cross. But the ultimate question you have to ask yourself, I'm being very real here. This is this sermon has really convicted me this week. I think a lot about it. If someone told me, well, Drew, if you really became a Christian, you might have to lose watching football. And I thought, man, I'd be really afraid of losing that. But would I be more afraid of losing my soul? And would I be more afraid of losing my relationship with God? By the way, some of you are sitting there thinking, wait, if I watch football, does that mean I'm losing? No. But I can tell you, the reason I thought of that is because it's something that has taken up too much real estate in my heart. There are things that have too much real estate that I give too much love, honor, and reverence to. And Christ and God want all of it. The ultimate question we have to ask ourselves is whether we care more about the life Jesus has to offer or the things we so often hold on to in this world. Would you like to choose the fountain of life that comes and presents itself as a cross? Or would you rather choose the shining things of this life that will enslave you to death masquerading around as all you holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing.